I have the privilege of finishing this Philippians series. I hope you're not tired of that book. Um, it is absolutely incredible. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Thank you, worship team, for just bringing it this morning. Philippians chapter 4. That is page 2094 in my Bible. If that helps. <laughs> Before we get started, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you, man. We love you. We love what you're doing in us. Father, we thank you that you don't abandon us. That you are our ever-present help in time of need. Jesus, we just ask that you would do what you always do, that you would allow your amazing word to not return without effect, but God, that it would penetrate soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and that your word would speak life, and that hope would arise, joy would arise, peace would arise, love would arise. God, we don't just want you or need you, we want you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 4, verse 1, I'm reading from the New American Standard. So if you don't have that, you may get confused along the way. It's fine. You can look up at the screen. Verse 1, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord. I urge these two women, I won't try to pronounce their names, to live in harmony in the Lord. I did that first time around. I don't think I got it right. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How many of you know when someone says something twice, it's important? Amen. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That word dwell, I mean, it's literally meaning pitch your tent here. Set up camp here. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern. Coming full circle from, from Philippians chapter 1, we see him with some personal remarks towards those in Philippi that were extremely generous. Uh, I have, last you have revi revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. 
For even in Thessalonica, you send a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full. By the way, that's what we did with the Cuba and Afghanistan offering. We're not asking for money so we can prosper. We're asking for money because it's going to increase and add to your account. This is God's work. And so, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with you are with me. Greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Wow. That is the Caesar. That's Nero, one of the most wicked emperors of the time. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. By the way, if you don't know what Nero did, he would actually set Christians on fire at night so he could have life. And this is the guy that the gospel message has penetrated his house. This is Philippians 4, and um, as I already said in Philippians 4, Paul is wrapping up this book of the Bible that we now know was a letter. And uh, he's got closing remarks, and before he gets to the closing remarks, which is the second half of the chapter, he actually starts with kind of like... um, You know, basically what I I see and sense here with Paul is, if I never happen to see you again, and if this is the last letter directly to you, I've got some final words for you. And so we see in the first several verses, um, we see multiple commands and instructions to uh, the church, to the church at Philippi. And so many of those are relevant for us today, but some of them are also personalized. For instance, in verse 1, this is to everyone, not only to uh, the church in Philippi, but to us today. He says, stand firm in the Lord. That's the first command. The second one is specifically to the two women. He says, live in harmony in the Lord. Then he speaks in verse three. He says, help the women reconcile. He's speaking to his true companion, whoever that may be. Um, they, they must have understood who he was uh, speaking about. Uh, but they, he sp- says, hey, help these women reconcile. Verse 4, once again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5, be anxious for nothing. Both of those last two are to everyone. Verse 8, dwell on these things. What are the things? The things that you are to think about, which he, he spoke of prior to when he said dwell on these things. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, praiseworthy. And verse 9, He says, basically, this is the, uh, uh, what would Paul do, because Paul did what Jesus did. So he says, if you've, uh, if you've any, if you learned anything, received anything, seen anything, heard anything, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But here's the thing that I see uh, culturally today that is the most relevant out of all of these. We could preach sermons on every command and instruction here, but I think the one that is the most culturally relevant right now is verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why is this scripture so relevant to our culture today? Because Americans, by and large, are anxious about anything and everything. And the statistics prove it. And I'm going to get to those statistics. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever uh, dealt with anxiety before? 
Hey, listen, just look around the room real quick, right? This is not just America. This is intrinsically the human condition, okay? No matter how puffed up and prideful we can get, there is a insecurity in the soul. We know we're not enough. And that's, by and large, where some of this, much of this anxiety comes from. And so this is so culturally relevant. See, anxiety, by definition, this is the dictionary definition, is a feeling of worry or nervousness or unease about something with an uncertain outcome. Like a lot of times, uh, we may not even be able to communicate, verbalize, put into words what the feeling is, but that's the, the, the feeling by dictionary definition. The feeling of worry, unease, nervousness about an uncertain outcome. Now, let me just kind of put these two things together because this helped clarify it for me. Um, anxiousness or anxiety and worry are best friends, okay? So what that means is that like, you, you don't have one without the other. They are a tandem duo. They like to hang out together. And let me just kind of clarify even, even further. Worry is the mental activity. Anxiety is the physical and the emotional feeling because of the mental activity. They're friends. It's the mental activity. Worry exists in your thought life. Anxiety is the emotional and physical feelings that worry produces. Okay, basically what that means is that not everyone, uh, may, may, not everyone who worries uh, experiences the scale and magnitude of physical and emotional feelings, but uh, if you've ever experienced anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. It just puts you on edge. How many of you, let's be honest, how many of you have ever lashed out passive-aggressively on someone and had nothing to do with them? It was because of anxiety. You just flip out. Yeah. And they're like, what's going on? It's because the worry in your thought life has flowed into your physical and emotional state, and it's, it's shaking you, and it's stirring you, and it's agitating you. Okay? This is anxiety. It works together. And here in Philippians, Paul addresses this problem of anxiety. He says, be anxious for nothing. Now, where does this Greek word come from? The Greek word is the word maranao, and it, it is... It is used 19 times in the New Testament in 17 different verses. 19 times in 17 different verses. Now, what, how do you translate it? Well, it's not only the, the, the English word anxiety, but it also is the word care. Care. From the, the get-go, some of you guys condemn yourselves about your anxiety, and that's actually unhealthy. Because all this shows us is that what makes you anxious is something you really care about. Because if, listen, you are not anxious about stuff you don't care about. If you care about it, that's why you struggle with anxiety. So I want to actually like encourage you this morning. Because so many people walk around, why do I deal with this? Why do I struggle? Because you care. If you didn't care, it wouldn't bother you. And so this, this Greek word, marinao, is anxiety and care. They're, they're one and the same. They're synonymous here. Let me give you a couple of examples in Scripture uh, where that is. For example, <laughs> let, let me just stop right here. Here's a pl practical one. You ever wor been worried about the safety of your kids? Right. 
It's because you care. That's actually like okay to be concerned about the safety of your kids. Now, I'm not saying everything that you care about, you should care about. But there is a lot of anxiety um, that comes from the fact that you care about stuff you should care about. Okay? So uh, let's just kind of understand that. And so Paul is not the only one to address anxiety. Matter of fact, what we see in Philippians 4, 6, when he says, be anxious for nothing, all he is doing is echoing Jesus's words. Okay, let's go to, let's go to that. Um, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. If you struggle with anxiety and worry, you should write these scriptures down and you should read them in your bathroom every single morning. Get these in your spirit. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Once again, one of the things that I love about Jesus is, um, once again, you know, he would go to the Father and he would have his time with the Father. And I believe that when he, what he did in, with, with his Father is what pastors a lot of times do. We go before God. What do you want us to talk about? And I believe that this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount because he knew this would be one of the largest gatherings to hear what the kingdom was about. And so he identifies and he addresses anxiety to this massive crowd. Okay, he says this in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried. Okay, that's maranao. That's anxiety and care. When he says worried... When you read that, that's that same word from Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So every time that you actually see the word worried in this Matthew 6, 25 through 34, it's the word marinao. It's the same exact word. So Jesus is addressing anxiety in that passage. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Another familiar passage. This is the story of Lazarus, or specifically Mary and Martha, which were Lazarus's uh, sisters. Okay, how many of you are familiar with Luke chapter 10? So in Luke chapter 10, it says this. Now, as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But you watch this. Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? So she's caring about something. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me, which is kind of like, Literally, Martha is an adult that's tattletaling on her sister. It's like when uh, Zeke comes up to uh, Allison and, and Gideon standing right there, and he's like, uh, tell Gideon to give me my train back. Right? This is literally the conversation interaction that's going on here. It's like, tell him yourself. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and bothered about so many things. Same word, marinao, worried, anxious about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mar Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Isn't that interesting? Because let's go back to Philippians 4, 6 for a minute, because it says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supp supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Philippians 4, 6, if you can simplify it, it's this. Turn to Jesus. Turn from 
hyper-focus on anxiety to Jesus. Mary is where? She has turned. And Jesus says, I will not take away from Mary the very thing, Martha, that you need because of your anxiety. Because Philippians 4, 7 says, in the peace of God, Mary is pleasurably peaceful at Jesus' feet. And he's like, I'm not taking that away from her. Martha, you actually need to join her because that's what you need. Now, let me just break it down. What was Martha's real problem? Jesus identifies it. It wasn't her busyness, and it wasn't how many chores that needed to be done because Martha invited her, him into the home. It was the thing behind her busyness. Jesus was addressing the anxiety that Martha was dealing with. It's interesting, and, 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 and I'm going to talk about this, because once again, he said, you are worried. That's the same word, marinao, anxiety. So what Jesus is observing in Martha is that the, the worry is no longer just a mental thing. He can see it in her body. He can see the vexation in her emotions and in her physical condition. And so listen to this. It's interesting because the scripture says she was distracted with all her preparations. That word distracted here, listen to what it means. She was driven about mentally. That's what anxiety does. Anxiety seeks to take over your thought life so that it can steer your ship. She was driven about mentally by the anxiety. And one of the ways you know that anxiety is driving you about mentally is that you aren't even present. You're... You are somewhere else. That's where Martha was. You got the son of the God of the universe in your living room. And the primary thought on your mind is that Mary isn't helping you with chores. She ain't in the room, y'all. She is lost in the anxiety that she's experiencing. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Why do you think it's necessary for take our, to take our thoughts captive? Right. Exactly. Listen, because if you don't, then anxiety will be the one instead of Jesus to take the wheel of your mind. Right. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says we are destroying speculations. What speculations? It is ideas and every lofty thing that raises itself up against what? The knowledge, say it again, the knowledge of what? Okay, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of of Christ. Listen to me this morning. Why do we need to take every thought captive that is raised up against the knowledge of God? Because when you are worried and anxious, by default, you are not even thinking about what God can do to help you. He's He's not even in the room because you're not in the room. You're not thinking about God when you are overcome by worried and anxiety. All you are focused on is that you fall short of being able to overcome the environment, the experiences, the circumstances that are making you worried and anxious. Because all you're doing is focusing on you and you know your own limitations and weaknesses. And so Jesus is, Paul is like, no, 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 you need to take every thought captive. There are ideas that the enemy will put into your mind 
that will get you focused off of Jesus and what Jesus was saying when he said, you are worried and distracted. You are being driven about by your anxiety. Come back into the room, Martha, and sit at, at, at my feet in the same way that Mary, because what you need is peace. You need to focus on me because you are isolated from what I can do in your life. This is what anxiety does. does. Listen to me. You, Worried and anxious thoughts seek to isolate you mentally from your knowledge of God. That is why they need to be taken captive. And by the way, let's take it a step further. That's why a lot of times people, Pastor Dwight, are anxious about being among other people. Because the enemy wants to isolate you. Not just mentally, but physically, literally. I want, I want you in a corner so I can get my gloves on and we can just go rounds. Because when you're in the corner and you're all by yourself, all you have is you. And he wants you all alone. I feel like I'm preaching to people and nobody's saying amen. amen. Because this is truth. I want you all alone. I want to isolate you. I want you to get you. Because I, want to, I, want to, I don't want Jesus to be in the arena. And so the way I get... I get you off of Jesus is I'm going to consume you with anxiety and worry, and then I'm going to isolate you, and I'm actually going to make the very thing that you need to be around the fellowship of believers to encourage you and spur you on. I'm actually going to make that the thing you worry about most so that you, I got you all on my own. You, by the way, you can show up for a whole bunch of other stuff, but then God, then somehow you're worried and anxious about being around the body of believers? He said, not only were you distracted, he said, you were bothered, which means she was troubled in her mind. This is what anxiety does. This word anxiety from Philippians 4.6 is actually a compound word. It's two words. It's marizo and it's naus. And this is what it means. It means to tear apart and divide the mind. You know what cognitive dissonance is? Anybody know what cognitive dissonance is? Cognitive dissonance is when, that you, when you have two ideas in your mind that are competing and in conflict. That's what anxiety does. It, puts, it has two ideas. Now, what are the two ideas? Listen, anxiety does this, and this is why it's something that's such a problem that God wants to address. Anxiety is the emotional and physical feelings you experience for when your mind is divided between legitimate and destructive thoughts. That's how you get divided. And I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not, hey, by the way, I'm glad that it's quiet because this is a target that the enemy wants to hit. Yeah, right. Um, there are things that you should be anxious about, okay? Sometimes that anxiety is actually a natural mechanism that's like, you're getting too close to something that's too risky. Right. So I'm not saying that everything that you're anxious and worried about is illegitimate. But there's, there are rational things that you should have care and concern about. But then there are vain imaginations. And that's where anxiety divides the mind because you have legitimate things. You're like, this is real. And then you have illegitimate things that are vain imaginations that are multiplying the care, the, cur the worry, and the anxiety that you're experiencing. And it causes a divided mind, which is what James, Jesus' brother, said. Did he not say a divided mind is unstable in all he does? 
Um, which is why so many people that struggle with anxiety feel that they're mentally unstable. Because they are living in a perpetual state of a teeter-totter between what is true and what is not true. This is what anxiety does. Okay, listen. So why did I want to focus on Philippians 4.6? Because I talked about the state of our current culture. Listen to these statistics. One author noted that, and I put this in the midweek article, one author noticed that, noted that you could put on most Americans' graves this epitaph, hurried, worried, and buried. That if you wanted to encapsulate the American experience, it would be that. Listen, among all the disorders most common in America, guess what tops the list? Anxiety disorder. 40 million Americans. Let me just stop right here. There is no condemnation for struggling with anxiety. Amen. That is, I want to say another word from the sermon, from the message, but because I'm online, I'm not going to say it, but it's BS. <laughs> it, is, it is actually ridiculous for you to condemn and shame yourself because you str struggle with anxiety and worry. Because did you not see all the hands in the room? Yep. This is common. But once again, the enemy wants to isolate you and think you're the only one that's dealing with this because you're stupid, you don't have enough, you're not enough, you're not strong enough. It's all a lie. 40 million American adults in 2016, 40 million American adults struggle with some form of anxiety disorder. That is roughly 18% of American adults in 2016. Imagine what that went to in right. 2020. Right. In 2015, Boston University found that anxiety has surpassed depression and all other disorders in the country. The World Mental Health Organization did an anxiety study of 14 different countries, and guess who topped the list? America. You know who else? You know who was a part of that study? America, Ukraine, Lebanon, and Nigeria were among the other countries. Now, if you've been, Omo, you've been to Nigeria, you're from Nigeria, right? And yet America here, struggling with anxiety. The New York Times actually said this, we have developed an ethos culturally in America of relentless worry and agitation. The average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Now I want to show you, yeah, you can hear that again. The average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. And I want you to hear the world's solution for anxiety. Listen to this. One psych psychiatrist um, commented and he said this, our goal shouldn't then be to dismiss anxiety entirely, but to make it a healthy, manageable part of our lives. So, you know what that tells us, guys? The world does not have hope That's right. for the solution to anxiety. Right. And here Paul stands in stark contrast. He says, you can actually be anxious about nothing. How? See, nobody amen that. But it's a promise in scripture. And he actually commanded it. Let's not be defeated already. 
See, this is where the rubber meets the road. So how in the world do we become anxious for nothing? I'm going to give you six things. Number one, Paul emphasized it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Say it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You remember when I said worship can be warfare? Yeah. Worship can be warfare. Let me, let me just take it a step further. Uh, as I was studying this, I realized that this was an absolute truth in Paul's life. Let's talk about the context. Where was Paul in prison and the, the jail cell broke free? In Philippi. So could it be Paul saying, Acts 16, at about midnight, Paul and Silas are doing what? They are rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And as they are rejoicing, as they are lifting up the name of Jesus, the jail cell gets broken. And so I'm pretty sure that you can put two and two together and the Philippians know that this was a lifestyle of Paul. That in everything and in anything, wherever he was, he was going to rejoice. And they knew that because the jailer that got saved because him and Silas were worshiping Jesus and the jail cell broke loose, he's a part of the Philippian church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why do we need to rejoice in the Lord always? Because here's the thing. There are circumstances you will not want to be rejo rejoicing in the same way there are people that you will not want to love. But when you make love a choice, the emotions sometimes follow. Right. But sometimes you've got to choose to rejoice. Right. Like when you come in on a Sunday morning and your, parent, your kids have been crazy <laughs> on the way. I was trying to pray this morning in preparation for the sermon, and it got hijacked by Zeke wanting to set up a train at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> but rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because you need your perspective off of your limitations, off of what you're worried about, off of what you're anxious about, and you need your focus to be redirected on the God that is the one who can do all of the impossible things. I cannot tell you how many times I've been anxious, but, but and I'm not saying that, let me just kind of, you know, because we can be idealistic. It's going to take a little bit of time as you choose to worship and rejoice in the Lord. You may, may still be anxious and worried about five minutes in. Give it ten minutes, because worship is warfare. And redirect your focus on him. And I'm just telling you, as I said earlier, I cannot tell you how many times that the emotions and the mind and all of that seems to just kind of calm down and I get clarity and then I get, begin to realize this stuff is way smaller than I've made it. Because someone got bigger. Right. Exactly. And the worship redirecting off of my own limitations and the things that I'm worried and concerned about onto him as I elevate him, he's enthroned on my praise, and I realize who's in charge. Right. Yeah. Right. Worship is war warfare. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How do you fight your battles? Don't we sing a song about that? This is how I fight my battles. This is not just a cool song. <laughs> this is a reality that we can access when we're struggling with anxiety. Number two, turn your worries into prayers. Verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, but in everything. In everything. Say everything. everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all our comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Turn your worries into prayers. This is the essence. Everything you are anxious about. You know what, actually, that the Bible gives that name? Or gives, gives that exercise, that activity of praying, turning, turning your worries into prayers and praying them. The Bible actually gives that activity a name. It's called casting. Casting. How do I know that? Because 1 Peter 5, 7, Paul, Peter says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him. That's what the New American Standard says. And don't pull it back in. Because that's what we do a lot. God, I care. He's not listening. And we reel it back in, and guess what? At the end of the day, we still have the care. In everything, by prayer, casting all your anxieties. One of the things that we need to stop believing is the lie that God doesn't care about what we care about. He cares about every single thing that concerns you, worries you, and you care about. And here, let me just tell you something. And I'm going to hit this right now, and I'll make, uh, come back to it again. One of the reasons why you won't cast all your cares on him is because you have an orphan spirit. Because an orphan has been abandoned and believes, my parents didn't care enough about me. Why would God care about what I care about? And you walk around your whole life like an orphan. This is too small for the God of the universe to actually care about. And part of your anxiety, once again, is that the orphan spirit has been the weapon of the enemy to isolate you from the God that says, cast all of it on me. All the small stuff, the bumps and the bruises. Because when you don't cast, by default you carry. Mm -hmm. And you're weighed down. Why do you think in Matthew 11 Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened because I'm a father. You don't have to be an orphan. You know what orphans do? No one wants me, so I just say, I guess it's on me to carry. No one wants me. I know that because my parents didn't want me, so I just go through life 
And most of your anxiety has everything to do with the fact that you believe it has to be all on you. And no one is more aware of your own personal limitations than you. And when the challenges of life are too big for what you believe you can do, that's where the anxiety comes in and the gap. I am not enough to fix this. Cast because he cares. Worries into prayer. Number three, practice thanksgiving. He said prayers and supplication with thanksgiving, thanking God for what has already happened in your life. My God, do you have the laundry list of provision, protection? What has God already done in your life? Why is it, why is it important to be thankful this way? Listen, what, this is what thanksgiving does. It reminds you of God's faithfulness. It strengthens yourself in the Lord, and it builds your faith. And you need faith to fight anxiety, because anxiety can be overwhelming. George Mueller said this. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Do you know George Mueller's story? Let me give you an amazing testimony. George Mueller was, uh, he, he uh, governed and managed orphanages. But I want to give you some statistics. He prayed in millions of dollars in today's currency for the orphans. And he never asked anyone directly for money. George Mueller never took a salary for 68 years of ministry. But trusted God to put in people's hearts to send him what he needed. He never took out a loan or went into debt, and neither he nor the orphans ever went hungry. Mm -hmm. Now, when I read that, I'm like, I would have been in an asylum. (laughs) Taking that step of faith for 68 years, but that's because I might have an orphan problem. And George Mueller said, I got a father. Let me just encourage you with this. The things you care about, God actually cares more about them than you. Number four, guard your thought life. Passion Translation says in verse eight, keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. To guard your thought life, you have to replace your destructive thoughts. And I'm going to give you a very natural statistic because this should encourage you. The Huffington Post article found, or Huffington Post article found in research of a study of a large group of people that 85% of the things they worried about never actually happened. And we, it's vain imagination, y'all. If you don't think the devil is behind anxiety, If 85% never happened, in 15%, listen, of the 15% that did happen, 79% of the people in the study found they could handle it better than they thought, and that the difficulty taught them lessons worth learning. It is a liar, y'all, if it... The other day, Pastor Dwight, I was driving down the road and I was anxious and worried and I was about to go home passive aggressive. 
and lash out on Allison and the kids because I was just anxious and worried. And I finally got to Main Street, and this is what I said to myself because I needed to hear it. I said, Caleb, you are anxious about something that maybe will never happen. That perhaps will never happen. And you are focused on it being certain instead of highly unlikely. And I had to say that to myself a couple of times because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And I was strengthening myself in the Lord in the moment to say, what am I getting all flustered about? If 85% of the things you're anxious and worried about never happen? And you are making definite and certain outcomes that are highly unlikely. Guard your thought life. So he concluded that 97% of what you worry about is just a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misconceptions. That's what the Huffington Post article concluded. See, we have to put into practice some intentional thinking, which is what Philippians 4, 8 is about. And by the way, if you want to know how to transform your mind in Romans 12, 2, it's Philippians 4, 8. And notice what Philippians 12, 1 says. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Anxiety is a pattern of our current culture. But be, how do you overcome it? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? You think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellent, and praiseworthy, and you set up camp there. I heard a pastor say this, that what anxiety will get you, what to get you to do is either relive or pre-live. And this is Philippians 4 says, set up camp in these realities. Stop living in the past thinking that that past mistakes and things are going to repeat themselves and stop pre-living in realities that are highly unlikely to ever happen. Back and forth, back and forth, overseas and back again, overseas and back again. So in the tribulation and the turmoil, what did the prophetic word say? Where are you? Where's your thought life? Because if you don't guard your thought life, you won't go over another sea and back again. Are you understanding what I'm, what I'm saying here? Number five, repent of pride. Verse six. Be anxious for nothing. Once again, turning to Jesus. When you are prideful, by the way, um, another part of an orphan spirit will actually produce pride because, um, because in your insufficiency and insecurity that you can't turn anywhere else and it's only on you, you will begin to puff up and be prideful and become uh, unhealthily independent. Right. Repent of pride. Um, turn to Jesus. That's what Philippians 4, 6 says. Listen, self-sufficiency and independence are idolized in our culture. And let me just say another thing for the body of Christ. We are a family, and some of us are not transparent and honest with the people in the house and people in the family because we think that our, our insufficiency and our lack of independence is something that should be condemned from, by other people. Right. Oh, you're not strong enough? Right. Why are you here? Shouldn't we be a part of a family that we can limp in the room and let people know why we're limping? Right. Yeah. 
bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? You, the body of Christ is not for the healthy, but for the sick that are broken. We need to stop lying to ourselves and stop covering up what we're really struggling with because we believe the lie of our culture that if you're not self-sufficient and you're not independent, you're weak. It's, it's a lie. I just stopped myself. You got to repent of pride. Um, the other day, Zeke was, this is Zeke's morning routine. He comes down, by, by the way, I just, I just enjoy the fact that Zeke's every story. But Zeke, every morning, 6.30, he comes downstairs. And sometimes he comes down before me, but uh, this is part of his morning routine. He eats his breakfast, or he wants life cereal, he eats his breakfast, and then he wants his vitamin gummies. How many of you know about the Flintstones vitamin gummies back in the day? Praise Jesus. I would eat about 10 of them and not tell my mom, right? I'm getting all my vitamins, all my supplements. So we've got vitamin gummies. I think we get them from Sam's Club, so the, the container's about this big. Like 10 pounds of vitamin gummies. It's like pushing it across the floor. And this is his morning routine. He eats cereal, and then you know the child safe cap. Just twisting. I can't do it! And it's so predictable that I will stop the moment he gets it and just watch him. And I'm like, how long is he going to continue to do it himself instead of turn to his father? That can get what he needs. And the Lord spoke to me in the moment and said, that's my kids. Dealing with anxiety, worry, and you're frustrated because you're like, I can't do it myself. I can't do it myself. And he's like, how long? I'm looking. I'm watching you struggle. And you never turn. I'm here to help. Orphan spirit will isolate you. We've got to repent of pride. Last one. Learn contentment. Verse 11 and 12. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. What, what Paul is actually saying there is I never would have asked for an offering. You guys provided but I never would have asked because come everything in my life, I've learned how to be content. For I've, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity and in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry of both having abundance and suffering need. Listen to me. Personal ambition becomes really destructive when it becomes the source of your anxiety because you're trying to keep up with every, every other person and you've got all these ambitions, dreams, and desires and you're not where you want to be. That's self-induced anxiety. When you're like, oh my God, I, be, I should be so far, so much further along than where I am. Where are you though? Right here. You're right here. So what you're doing is pre-living. And you're worried 
And I'm not saying that personal ambition is bad, but it is when it becomes self-destructive and it actually induces anxiety where you're living perpetually panicked because you're not seeing progress fast enough. And you're comparing yourself to all these other people and their social media highlight reels and you're just worried about yourself like, oh my gosh, I'm nothing. They've got a thousand people at their church. Who gives a crap? Uh, I unfollowed several pastors on Instagram because um, I was feeling really inadequate. And I'm like, that's not healthy. Because the feelings of inadequacy actually aren't real. They're just not. So I'm actually inducing anxiety by what I'm comparing myself to. There was a moment, and I've said this before, and we're going to close. There's a moment um, when I was just needing the affirmation of God, and I was praying, and I said, God, can you just remind me of who I am? And he said, you're my son in whom I love, and in you I am well pleased. And I said, yeah. I said, but like, what else? Like, do you like my hard part, or (laughs) am I funny? And he said, if that was enough for Jesus, why isn't it enough for you? And I realized that everything that Jesus did in his ministry was from the posture of one affirmation from the Father. And here I am, struggling, feeling inadequate, because I actually haven't meditated on the truth of the fullness of what that meant. If that was enough for Jesus, why isn't it enough for you? And so what's the solution to putting these things into practice? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. You know what that means? Once again, that means that you may be in circumstances that haven't fully been transformed but you have a peace that you don't understand why you have it. I don't understand why I have peace, but I have it. Surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to close here. Will you stand with me? I just want you to, and then this, we're going to do some body ministry this morning, by the way, until the kids run in. I want you to close your eyes. I know this sounds weird, but I just want you to listen to Jesus saying this because it's one thing to Paul to say it. It's one thing for Paul, but this is straight from Jesus' mouth. If you struggle with anxiety, I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Don't be anxious about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things, God, this is so good because this is where the orphan spirit gets addressed. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. There's another translation that says the pagans run after all these things. Why do you think that humanity is in a perpetual state of a rat race? Because they have no spiritual father, and it's all on them. Your heavenly Father already knows. So seek the kingdom of God 
above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. Stop pre-living, for tomorrow will bring its own anxiety. So he promises anxiety is part of the human experience. Today's trouble is enough for today. You already have enough on your plate than to pre-live. And guess what? All of the problems of today, he's a father that has provision. So are you going to approach life from an orphan spirit saying it's all on me? Are you going to realize that you have a father that has truly never failed? If 85% of the things that you're anxious about never, never happen, then you have a father that has done so much over and over and over and over again. As Paul said, he is faithful even when we're faithless, for he cannot disown himself. So if you're in the room this morning and you struggle with anxiety, with every head bowed, every eye closed, will you just raise your hand? Thank you, Lord. This is what I want to do. I really want the body to pray for the body. So I'm going to pray in a moment, and then what I'm going to ask you to do, I want, to keep, I want you to keep your hands up if you struggle, and I want the body to minister to the body. Because once again, we need each other. We are not meant to be isolated. So I'm going to pray, and then I want you to go to someone with their hands lifted. Jesus, right now, Father, we, I pray that you would dismantle every, every place in the identity of the souls and spirit in the room that says, I will be anxious forever. Every, every place that anxiety has woven itself into the fabric of the identity of sons and daughters in the room, I pray that every root would be, would be removed right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray for sonship. And I pray that there would be daughters in the room that would fully know their identity. So where there was anxiety, I pray a peace that surpasses all understanding. Where there is depression, I pray there is joy. Where there was hopelessness and despair, I pray for hope to rise, Lord. Father, where there is feelings of inadequacy and insufficiency, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that their identity would be rooted in the truth of who they are as sons and daughters, and I declare over them that the Father, when you ask for bread, will not give you a stone. He is a good Father that gives good gifts to his children when they ask. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, that we would be those that struggle with anxiety. God, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would bring a confidence that they would become those that boldly go before the throne of grace in their times of need, and they would realize that they are Esthers that have access to the Father, that they can go when they need need help, and they can get what they need. God, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is an encourager. He's a comforter, but he is a helper. He is a helper when we need what we, what, we, what we need, God. When we're struggling, Father, I pray that we would be transparent and that we would be vulnerable and that we would be willing to let our family in this house 
No, and that we would, we would reject pride and self-sufficiency and independence that says that it's, it's wrong, it's bad, it's, it's con- condemning for me to actually go and help. Why, why, why should I have to ask for help? What is wrong with me? I just, I uproot that lie, that when you struggle with anxiety, something is wrong with you. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Nothing is wrong with you if you struggle with anxiety. That is a lie from the pit of hell to once again try to affirm insufficiency and inadequacy and to perpetually keep you insecure about your identity in Jesus. Father, we pray for peace in Jesus' name. And God, we pray, Father, we pray over every mind right now. Plead the blood of Jesus over every mind. We pray for a crown of the mind of Christ to come upon the minds of in the room to guard them right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, they would be as that scripture says, Father, they would be those that think upon that which is true, that which is lovely, that which is excellent, that which is um, uh, praiseworthy, that which is right, that which is honorable, that which is of good repute, that which is uh, excellent. Father, I pray that they would dwell there. They would dwell there. Jesus' name. So every hand lifted, I just want you to find someone. I just want you to go and put your hands on them, and I just want you to pray for them right now.